We've been doing the series on Holy Spirit, and today we I think I still need batteries. We're touching on the do and don'ts of the Holy Spirit. We talk about we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit. And last week, Pastor Caroline touched on do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to finish up this mini section on do not quench the Holy Spirit. God the Father came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. So Jesus put a face to God. So if you want to know who God is, then look at Jesus. Read the gospel because Jesus put a face to God. So God the Father came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And God the Son, Jesus, dwelt on earth for 33 years. And then He died on the cross for us. Three days later, resurrected from the dead. And after He resurrected from the dead, he spent 40 days on earth appearing to his disciples and many others. 40 days. And then after 40 days, he ascended to heaven. He gathered out of the disciples and right in front of their eyes in Acts chapter 1, you can see that he departs. His ascension of Christ. He ascended to heaven. And then the disciples waited for another 10 days. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them because you remember when our Lord was coming near to his death and his crucifixion was imminent he promised to send another helper the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth who was one exactly like himself his promise was that the Holy Spirit is going to come after he ascended to the Father he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit and He will assume the role with you that I have had. He, the Holy Spirit, being another member of the Holy Trinity, God of the very God, He will come and fulfill the role that I have filled in the lives of the disciples. So in, in fact, Jesus was telling His disciples, I have been your teacher, He will be your teacher in the future. I have been your friend, and this Holy Spirit that comes is going to be your friend. I will be your guide. I have been your guide. And this Holy Spirit come will be your guide. I have been your resource. And so the Holy Spirit will be your resource. I have been your helper. This Holy Spirit comes. He will be your helper. I have been your comforter. And this Holy Spirit come will be your comforter. And so, in other words, Jesus is telling his disciples that the Holy Spirit will step into the role that I have had. I have done it alongside of you. He will do it in you. I have been, as it were, the fire around you. He will be the fire in you. And so the Lord Jesus promised and sent on the day of Pentecost after he ascended to heaven. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit came as promised by Jesus to his disciples and to all of us as believers. So when you read the Acts account, it is a transition period. It is a transition period of this permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit in represented the last phase, the last phase of a process 
of increasing personalization of God to human beings. Can I repeat that again? The coming of the Holy Spirit represented the last phase of a process of increasing personalization of God to humans. Because in the Old Testament, God made Himself known essentially through law and the prophets. And then come the New Testament, God the Father finally came to us, incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And so God drew closer and closer to us. And the coming of the Holy Spirit dwelling in every believer is the final installment of God's ultimate personalization of Him to us as believers. And so with the coming of the Holy Spirit, He came even closer as the dwelling presence of God within the community of believers and within the intimacy of their individual lives with God. And so you can see the old covenant moved to the new covenant, the law and the prophet that God revealed to us. It come down in the person of Christ, God put Jesus putting the face of God and then finally dying for us, resurrected, ascended, and then now Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. So that is the final installment and then that's it. That's it. The Holy Spirit now is the final installment 2,000 years ago, and now we are, can be very close to God. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, isn't it? Meaning to say now we have access to God the Father, being Jesus as our mediator. And so the role of the Holy Spirit is, is a, in many, many roles. In pertaining to salvation, let me just quickly break into two. In pertaining to salvation and then in, in pertaining to sanctification or Christian living. In terms of salvation, Holy Spirit applies salvation to the believers. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts people hard to receive Christ, not us. You're only the instrument to dispense it, but Holy Spirit is the one that convicts. He convicts, He regenerates, He indwells, He baptizes, He seals. So we, if, if there's a chance for us to share about our testimony, we can then, we, we, I have no doubt that you will come to the conclusion that it is Holy Spirit that led someone to the Lord. I remember there was a story many years ago in my church when I first started, there was a guy that came to our church. He shared with me his incredible testimony of how he became a Christian. He said his brother studied in England, passed away. And so some of the friends pack up some of his very precious belonging and send it back to him. And so he received this box one afternoon and he opened up the box. And he opened the box, he found some precious things, some photos and all that, but he found a Bible, a tiny little Bible. And he took up the Bible, he opened it up. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just convicted him. And he's suddenly overwhelmed with, uh, with remorsefulness and, and, and cried. And, and believe it or not, he told me he then went to around his area, knocking at every church, said, can you please baptize me? But most of the church, no one is there. He said, he's asking, and he is like a, like almost like a, a ready Christian, say, I want to be baptized, I want to be baptized. So it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us. So Holy Spirit works in pertaining to our salvation. He convicts, He regenerates, He indwells, He baptizes, He seals. 
and in pertaining to sanctification, and that is our Christian living. Now that we are Christ, we are conforming into the image of Christ. He teaches us, He gives us wisdom to understand God's way. He prays for us, He gives us power. He reveals the deep things of God to us. He distributes spiritual gifts, He produces spiritual fruit in us, and on and on and on and on. Even now, as we are believers, Holy Spirit continue to work in us. So today, we come down to this passage called, Do Not Quench the Spirit. Do Not Quench the Spirit. Uh, there are various ways of translating that word. So I'm just going to give you various translations just to capture the, the word in a more clearer way. Other version called, Do Not Suppress the Holy Spirit. Or... Uh, New Life versions that do not try to stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not try to stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Or do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Or do not turn away God's Spirit. And NIV call it do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Bible talks a few things about, we, we mentioned about do not uh, grieve the Holy Spirit, do not quench the Spirit, but there are other parts that talks about do not resist the Holy Spirit and also do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So if I were to divide this into two parts, out of these four, uh, do not resist the Spirit, do not blaspheme the Spirit, do not grieve the Spirit, do not quench the Spirit. If we can divide it into two, uh, unbelievers, unbelievers can blaspheme and resist uh, believers can quench and grieve. And the question I want to move on to it is, what is the difference between quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit? And then the remaining text in 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to give you some ways uh, we will quench the Holy Spirit based on the text that is in 1 Thessalonians 5. What is the difference between grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit by, we, by what we do to Him, right? You did something to someone, you grieve the person, you cause heartache to the person. So we grieve the Spirit by what we do to Him. And we quench the Holy Spirit by what we refuse to let Him do through us. You quench it. So grieving the Spirit is what we do to Him, Quenching the Spirit is by what we refuse to allow Him to do through us, to let Him do through us some work. In other words, we grieve the Spirit by doing what He tells us not to do, and we quench the Spirit by not doing what He tells us to do. Well, it's a bit confusing. Let me just make it easier for you. I was thinking very hard how to distinguish the difference between grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit, and I came up with something. Grieving the Spirit is equal sin of commission. You do something that you ought not to do. You grieve the Holy Spirit. So grieving the Spirit is sin of commission. You're committing something, you do something that you were not permitted to do. You willingly do the thing, doing what we should not do. The performance of a forbidden act. <coughs> Willingly do the thing that we should not do. That is grieving the Spirit. Sin of commission. 
And to me, quenching the Spirit is a sin of omission. You grieve the Spirit when you omit what you are supposed to do. Because in James chapter 4, it tells us there is a sin of omission. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. You quench the Spirit. So sin of omission is quenching the Spirit, is not doing what we should. Failure to do the thing that we should. The failure to perform an obligatory act. That is quenching the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants to do mighty things through you for something, but you refuse, you quench it, you stop it. And that is quenching the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, a classic author, said that the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. Holy Spirit indwell in us. We are asked to be filled in the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, letting the Spirit control us, lead us, guide us, dominate us, and, and as such, may we feel the Holy Spirit and flow with the Holy Spirit, do what He asks us to do, then we will not quench the Holy Spirit. But specifically in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul very clearly tells us what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. In, you know, Timothy is uh, Paul's disciple. Paul is uh, Timothy's mentor. And when they commissioned Timothy to do ministry, the elders came and prayed for him and prophesied over him and tell him this. Oh, I don't have it. Uh, he said, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So they, when they were commissioning Timothy, they said, do not neglect the gift that God has given to you. Use it for His glory. But for some reason, Timothy is a very timid guy. He was young, and therefore he, he kind of timid, don't dare to, to use the gift that God has given to him. Some of us are like that too, you know. We, we don't want to use the gift that God has given to us. We have no courage. And so 2 Timothy 1, Paul writes again to remind him. To remind him. And this is what he's, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which is a very, very uh, popular verse that many of us who are students of the Bible are aware of. He says this, For this reason I remind you to do what? to fan into flame the gift of God. You have not been using it. You must not quench it. You must fan this flame. This gift that God has given to you, you must fan this flame which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but instead He has given us the spirit of power, love, and self-control or discipline. And so here, Paul is saying when you, you will grieve the Holy Spirit when you do not fan into flame the gift of God given to you in your life. So you grieve the Spirit when you don't use your gifts that God has given to you. You grieve Him because God has given you the gift to be used to edify and build up the body of Christ. And when you don't use the gift that God has given to you, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You stop it. You're preventing God from using you to 
do mighty things for Him in the community and in the body of Christ. And so here is very clearly that we quench the Holy Spirit when we fail to use our gifts to serve God. But let me just uh, move on now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because the phrase do not quench the Holy Spirit or do not put out the Spirit fire comes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and we don't have to go elsewhere in the scripture to find what do you do to quench the Spirit or what you not do. And here in chapter 5, it gives us before and after sandwich between do not quench the Holy Spirit are lists of things that we can do, we should do, we must do. If we don't, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's if someone was a new Christian and learned nothing else except for the next 10 verses here, they would do pretty well. From verse uh, uh, 15 onwards, or no, sorry, verse 12 onwards. Verse 12 onwards. So let me just read to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You will see the bigger context, and then my message is uh, really coming from verse 12 onwards. The first uh, 11 verses is to set the context of what. Paul is trying to tell them largely due to them yeah you I'll read it through now okay? now brothers and sisters about times and dates we do not need to write to you about second coming of Christ we do not know okay we do not write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on suddenly so Christ's coming will always come at a very chaotic time it will not be a peaceful time. Say, so while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. But you brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. And then he said, now that you know that you are living in the light and all that, Christ coming is any time and all that, this is what you ought to do. Do not quench the Spirit. This is what you need to do. He said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. But hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Let me just reverse it. I think I forgot to replay it. You can. There are a couple of things here that uh, I want to draw this text on quenching the Spirit. Many times we talk about gifts of the Spirit, but I think what we need to realize is that the fruit of the Spirit need to govern the gifts of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit is not governing the gifts of the Spirit, then there will be chaos, and you will be doing more damage than good. And so, gifts of the Spirit must always be governed by fruits of the Spirit. And here, in this context, Paul gives us many things that we ought to do. And if we summarize up this whole passage, it comes down to relationship. Relationship. We are, we are all Christians long enough to know that Christian fights. Christian have trouble. Christian divorce. Christian... All kinds of things happen even while you call yourself believers. And the fundamental things is sanctification, transformation into the image of Christ that sometimes is not happening. Sometimes we are not living in the Spirit. Sometimes we are not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We are not surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit and all. And we are still walking in a carnal flesh and therefore we kind of don't live like what we ought to do, to be uh, commanded by Christ. And therefore, next year starting, we're going to go through initially about discipleship, the fundamentals and essentials of discipleship. We need to upgrade our product. Not so much of the gospel, we don't need to upgrade the gospel, but more of those people who have transformed and come to know Jesus, Holy Spirit lives in us. Are we changing? Are we changing? Are we changing for, for good? Are we becoming more Christ-like? And those are the things we need to look at. And here, I want to focus on that relationship component. Paul here is saying, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. He's commanding Thessalonian church, because Thessalonian church, in some extent, is an exemplary church, unlike Corinthian church. It's an exemplary church, it's a good church. It's just like, as in fact, you are already doing. And so under this umbrella of encouraging one another and build each other up, he goes on to break down into many areas that you and I can do it. I think if we can do that, then we are not quenching the Spirit. We are living out our life. We are allowing Holy Spirit to work through us in our lives, genuinely, authentically, real. And not just at church one phase, but at home is another phase. They dichotomize your personalities. Some kind of schizophrenic or bipolar. That you're one person at church, but at home you're another person. And here, Paul is saying, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. We are asked to encourage and build. We are not to tear down people. 
We are to build and we are to encourage. As it is, we live in a world that is enough of those things. We don't need this kind of things in the body of Christ. As it is, you're already facing that in your workplace already. So come to the church. The body of Christ needs to encourage and build each other up. So let me just comb through this. Uh, first thing is a little bit self-serving, but it is there. So I'm just going to write on it as well as a pastor. He said, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Here is referring to leadership. Leadership in the church. To acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I've been a pastor now for more than 20 years. I still don't know what, I'm, what is my job description, to be honest with you. Uh, because everybody has different expectations of what a pastor is supposed to be. Uh, somebody wrote this. Uh, he said, Pastor, I call... Uh, this is what he said. Pastors are expected to be all things to all people and to do all those things exceptionally well. Pastors are called on to be a social coordinator, masterful speaker, insightful counsellor, efficient administrator, strong leader, encouraging motivator, enlightening teacher, soul-winning evangelist, foolproof marriage mender, faithful husband, loving father, and consistent model of the faith. The pastor is to be humorous but not too funny. He is to be serious but never boring. Uh, he is to be friendly but have no relationship with some closer than others. Be normal but never be too much like us. Discerning but pleasantly unaware of societal temptations. And close to his family and yet available at all hours of the day and night at the drop of a head. He is to bring in money to the church but never ask for it. He is to stand strong against all kinds of sin but never approach a church member personally for that would be judgmental and mean-spirited. He is expected to know the answer to every question about the Bible and live off the top of his head yet not appear to be that much smarter than anyone else in the church. No wonder pastor quick after a few years. No wonder Bulin Church, I look at the history, no pastor stays beyond nine years. I'm already 12 years. Maybe my time is up. <laughs> and so here is very simple. Uh, no one wants to rule it over you. The scriptural position of a pastor is always to shepherd, to not lord it over people. But you can do your part as well by not making our role harder than what it is already. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Yes, we'll come to that. And 1 Peter 5 talks about be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being example to the flock. And the beautiful thing in that last verse is that a chief shepherd will come and... and, uh, and and reward us accordingly. And so the first thing that we do not quench the spirit is by working harmoniously with the leadership. We have new leaders coming on board soon. Some of them are first-time leaders. And we need to work together for the good of the church. 
You're accountable, but yet at the same time, we need your support. I feel, I feel very embarrassed to read the next verse, but it's in the Bible. I leave it to you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other in the, in the church and the leadership. Let me just move on now, not so much self-serving, uh, more towards relationship, not just with the leaders, but relationship with one another in the church by not quenching the spirit. This is what we are asked to do. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Do we do that? I think we quench the spirit if we do not warn the idle and disruptive. But unfortunately, sometimes we do it wrongly. It may come across as judging someone. It may come across as being judgmental over someone. But could it be done in the context of love? As a pastor, I'm, I'm very wise. Nowadays, if I have to confront some, somebody, something, I will tell them first and foremost that I, I'm not here to judge you, but I love you as a pastor. I love you as a friend. I care for you as my sheep. I think this is what I have to tell you. I think we lack of this kind of thing sometimes because of the whole culture that we are not to judge. I don't know why is it considered judge when you are approaching people out of love and concern and care. Would you not care enough even to do something even at the risk of your reputation? I would do that. And so here is about Go and talk to the person. Don't just gossip behind and tear the person down, judging the person from behind. Don't participate in distant judgmentalism. If you care enough, ask God for the courage to go and talk to the person. We have to do that. We need to really be real in a sense and not just judge and criticize from behind, but really say, hey, I need to talk to you. And if you need to ask for forgiveness, we would ask for forgiveness and pray about it. And so, warn the wayward. Warn those who are idle and destructive. Encourage the disheartened or encourage the timid. Timid is a very interesting term that literally means the small soul. You know, some people by nature are a little bit more timid than others. And therefore, we need to encourage them, give them a platform, fan the flame on. You know, don't let someone in a group that's stronger to dominate all the time. You go fan the flame. Give somebody else a chance to talk, have a conversation. Encourage them. Encourage the teammates. Our responsibility is to encourage them and pour courage into them. And help the weak. Help the weak. Henry Nouwand, a Catholic priest, died many years ago. Love his writing. Very insightful to human heart. Uh, he said, A community arises when the sharing of pain takes place. Community arises when the sharing of pain takes place. You can foster community only when people are willing to unmask and say, Hey, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. Can you help me? Community can begin to happen when we are not afraid to be weak. 
And Christianity is not an endless, ceaseless pursuit of perfection. Sometimes it is through brokenness that wholeness is found. It must be through the road of brokenness that beautiful things then can emerge from brokenness. You cannot fry an egg unless you crack the egg. The egg needs to be broken first before you can taste your yummy omelette. Life is like that too. You need to be. I just read this morning uh, while getting ready, reading the top line, you know, something about Tiger Wood. Someone wrote something about him, said that he was a terrible man. But since his scandal and since his exposure to all those things that he has done, he is a different man. He has changed because through his brokenness and now he can relate to more people. He's not just somebody up in the pedestal. Help the weak. We need to help the weak. The church exists for weak people. It is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. The door needs to open for weak people. We need to do that increasingly over the time. Practice patience. Be patient with everyone. We all need that. We all need to be patient with everyone. We all need people in our lives who will listen to us rather than try to fix us up all the time. Sometimes I feel that listening is the best counseling too. You let the person talk and the person will find their own solution. The problem is we can't find people to listen to us. We need to pay in order to get people to listen to us. If only we are more active listener, not passive listener, active listener. Once like one author, American author said, the first duty of love is to listen. If there are a lot of duties that love is supposed to do, the number one duty is to listen. We need people who listen to us rather than try to fix us up. We need someone who will weep with us rather than to tell us to move on all the time. We need someone who will keep, try, keep trying to instruct us rather than getting frustrated because we don't get it. Who will pray for us and with us even when we don't seem to be making progress. We need people who will do that. We need people who don't just give up after three tries. We need people who will endure our bad days rather than getting offended and walking away. I never cease to amaze that how a pastor committed some sin or whatever and then suddenly the whole church would disown them, on him. I cannot comprehend that. When the time of needing, embrace and, and returning, they just cut them away. You have a different standard for different people. Practice patience. Be patient with everyone. And then he make, on, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. That's refuse to retaliate. As difficult as it is, Jesus gave us the example. We must understand that. As difficult as it is, as difficult as it is, we should follow the footsteps of Jesus. No matter how much your emotion is pushing down you towards that pathway. No matter how much your emotion is pushing you down that pathway. We should always 
follow the footstep of Jesus. Committed love, faithful love takes enormous courage and fierce determinations. Committed love, faithful love takes enormous courage and fierce determinations. As difficult as it is, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Cultivate kindness. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone. Strive. Strive. Not just try a little bit, you know, do once, you know. Strive. Give it a shot. Give your best. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Cultivate kindness. Think, think, consequence. Think for the good of everyone. What is best for everyone? Not just what is best for me. What is best for everyone? What is best for the church? I always think what is best for the church. If it is best for the church that I move on, then I will move on. I always think that way. What is best for the church? What is best for the family? We always have to think that way but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Oh, well, time is running out. There are still so many instructions. But finally, not just only our, our relationship with the leaders to one another, but to ourselves. We have to rejoice always. We have to pray continually. We have to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. You can always know that when God is in the picture, you can trust Him. You don't have to lapse into despair. God is for you and not against you. God is for you. Remember that God is for you, not against you. He's with you. He's with you. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Constantly walking in the Spirit, constantly living in the Spirit, constantly pray, connecting your heart to God. Give thanks, and then you can give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about the specific will of God. This is the general will of God. Until you walk in the general will of God, then the specific will of God will come clearer to you. But if you're not walking in the, under the general will of God, the specific will of God will not be clear to you, be cloudy. But if you're walking, general will of God is for everyone that is to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit used us as the person living in us. Through relationally, you can do a mighty thing. Evangelism is moving away from propositional truth to relationship. That's a reality. Yes, information increase is all towards relationship. People don't people belong first and then they believe. In the past they believe first and then they belong. But times has come, it's changing. They belong first and then they will believe. It's coming to relationship and unless and only we constantly walk in the Spirit, we can radiate, we won't quench the Spirit, we allow us as a person, wherever we are, in the family, in the workplace, in the church, we are and God can use us mightily and not quenching His Spirit, working mighty things 
through us. So don't ignore the Holy Spirit's leading. Don't disregard His voice. Don't close your ears when He's speaking to you. Don't pass up an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use you. Don't avoid moments when God wants to pour His power through you. Don't throw water on the flames until you quench the Spirit. Instead of continually shutting your ears to the Holy Spirit and putting water and quenching the Spirit, it's time for you to say, Yes, Lord, I'll do what you say. Yes, Lord, I'll obey what you tell me to do. I know this is what you want me to do. I know my conscience is telling me I ought to do this. Obey the Spirit of God's voice in you and to it. And when you adopt this attitude, you start putting fuel back on the fire again. And every time you say, Yes, Lord, and follow through with obedience, you stoke the coals and cause the Holy Spirit's fire to burn more brightly in your life. And so determine in your heart today to obey whatever the Spirit of God tells you to do. And as you stay true to that decision, you see God do marvelous things through you. He will use you to set people free from whatever holds them in bondage, all because you determine to do what the Holy Spirit lets you to do. And as a community, we fan into flame this gift that God has given to us and not quench. And you see, mighty things will be done in this community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Forgive us. Many times we quench it. Many times we know the things that we ought to do, but we don't do it. And when we don't do it, we quench it. Please don't give up on us, Lord. Please continue to speak to us. And help each one of us here to be courageous to obey what you tell us to do. And when we begin to do that, we are not quenching your spirit and we are allowing you to work in us, through us. And by, not, by doing that, we are not, allowing, not quenching the spirit and mighty things will happen. I pray for each one of us here May you watch over us. May we be strong. May we do what you ask us to do. May we be courageous to do it. Thank you, Lord. You are a good God. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.